Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the Personal Resilience Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bouncing Back, the Personal Resilience Science Insights Podcast. I am your host, Tia Harmer, and today I am joined by Marin Snare, a registered teacher and psychologist, as well as author of several books, including Annihilate Stress and Anxiety and The Daily Dose. Today's topic explores stress and how we can learn to manage stress to prevent its impact on our mental health. So let's get started. Hi, Marin. How are you? Hi, Tia. I'm well, thank you. That's wonderful. So you've had a very interesting life. So before we start, for those who don't know you, do you mind explaining a bit about who you are and what it is you do? Well, I'm a very ordinary person um, and I think I've had, uh, I had an idyllic childhood, so I just felt like I was you know, very fortunate as a child. Um, I grew up, I always loved children, so I became a primary teacher and I really enjoyed that. I worked through many different types of roles in the education department, so teaching grade yeah. one and two in primary school, but then special education support and as a result of that I studied a Bachelor of Special Education. Mm. Now my real passion in amongst all of this was that I was right into calisthenics and there was a course that came up through basically through Melbourne University uh, called a graduate diploma in movement and dance and a lot of my family and friends said you should do that course so I did that course followed by a graduate certificate in dance therapy and I really wanted to use this in an educational sense, yeah, wow. which I did, um, particularly in special education. I ran a dance program um, oh, cool. alongside a language program. I felt that with teaching, um, it really sat side by side with psychology. And so gradually the evolving of me was to then start to study psych mm. while I was still teaching part-time. Yeah. And um, so I did that. It seemed to take an eternity, but I eventually got through. And so I've been working for the last 22 years as a psychologist. Wow, that's amazing. So you mentioned um, sort of like dance and dance therapy. Have you kind of utilized those um, kind of after you completed that or is that just something that you're a little bit of a side passion? I use that a lot in the education area. So when I was teaching in primary schools, I used to run little lunchtime movement and dance classes as opposed oh, cool. to dance, dancing school sort of type right, classes. Yeah. Um, but then when I, I realised if I wanted to really use it in education, I needed to go into special education. So that was when I trained in special ed, but I worked in special schools and one of the schools actually had a dedicated movement and dance program that they wanted me to run. So I was oh, very cool. fortunate to be able to do that. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. 
So before we get started, we're going to do a little bit of a get to know the guest section. So this is essentially for the audience um, to get to know Meryn Snare, who she is, what she's all about. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Um, my first question is, what is a recent book you have read? That's a really interesting question because I am not the best reader in the world. <laughs> um, I, I used to say to parents, you need to be able to read, but not everybody enjoys reading. And I tend yeah. to read to learn. Um, I have actually got quite a stack of books by my bed. The most recent one um, brought up on the weekend, which is the book, um, the latest book that Eddie Betts has written. So I haven't started that yet, but I'm about to start it. Uh, the, but books that are, I like biographies, but other, the other mm. book that's made a real impact on me was the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series. Okay. And I've read that series twice, which is unheard of for me to read anything <laughs> more than once. So yeah. um, I think that, you know, that, that sort of says a lot about that book or I that series it. and how it grabbed me. Definitely. So my next question is a movie you would recommend I'm a real um, musical sort of person. I like musicals. I'm not yes, very good at remembering a whole lot of in-depth movies, but I would all, if I was asked about what was my favourite movie, I would probably say The Sound of Music, oh, um, yes. closely followed by things like Grease and Chicago. So Definitely. I want something with a bit of movement and dance in it. <laughs> Yes, no, of course. Oh, I love that. You can't go past a good musical. Did you watch um did you watch The Greatest Showman when it came out? I think that would have yes, been a couple of years ago yes. now. Yes, I, I love that. I, I, I love most musicals and um I think, you know, I love The Greatest Showman, I loved Hugh Jackman and mm. um but also the story behind it as well. So Exactly. Yeah, it's so beautiful. You can never go past a good musical. So my next question is, uh, what is your favourite podcast, if you have one? I, I don't think I have a favourite. I like, yeah. if, I, if I'm listening to a podcast, uh, I will, I like to learn things. So I like mm. to listen to people speak. Um, but I also like true crime. So I've been fascinated in the liar, liar part because I, I try ah, to get I guess okay. I try to bring in the behaviors and mm. why do people do things and that sort of real sort of forensic sort of side of things interesting and uh fourth question who is your famous role model I I think that there are two here the first one uh, I would say Oprah and I acknowledge Oprah in Annihilate Stress and Anxiety because I feel that she has had the platform to reach many, many people on the importance of mental health. And, and I think that when we've got um, well-known people or celebrities out there who can really get important messages across, mm. um, I, I like to see them using their, their sort of platform, if you like, for, for the better good. So I, I really admire Oprah, which is why... I acknowledged her in the uh, in my book, but the interesting thing was that she actually came. She actually received a copy of my book because it was included in the Oscars gift bag the year that she was oh, wow. nominated for her role in Selma. Oh my goodness! 
And and so I was really, really excited. Not only had I acknowledged her, but that then she was going to receive a copy. And I, I'm realistic enough to know that she may not have actually read it. But then she came to Australia. And uh, so I was fortunate enough to meet her then. And that was also really exciting. So yeah, I think I saw a picture of you too on your, on your website. Oh, you probably possibly <laughs> did, yes. Yes. So... So, uh, so Oprah, I think, has that capacity to reach a lot mm, of people and I really definitely. love that about her. Yeah. The other role model, is, and for similar reasons really, is Olivia Newton-John. Um, so oh, yeah. I'm, I'm terribly sad at her, her passing and I mm. have nothing but admiration for how positive she was all through the tough times. Yeah, so definitely. She talked about with a lot of gratitude about the good times in her life, but she really demonstrated how we have a choice in how we think. And she said in one interview, I choose not to go there. I try to look at um, at what's good. Mm. And I think that there are a lot of lessons for us all in in actually being aware that we've got that choice of, of how we choose to think and and what choice we make. Mm. Yeah, definitely. She was a real yeah role model in that aspect. Definitely, she was so positive and beautiful, and ah, oh, we'll we'll miss her so much. Absolutely, she's just beautiful in in every way and talented. Let's not forget that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, for listeners who haven't seen Greece, oh my goodness, you must. It's oh my gosh, it's one of the best. And my last question is: um, a course you have completed doesn't have to be recent; can be anything. Um, well, apart from the uh, professional quals, I guess the other part, and it is really a, a professional qual, but it, I, I also have um, a graduate diploma in clinical hypnosis. Wow, and okay. I use hypnosis in, in some of the work that I do. Okay, that's fascinating. How, how did you kind of get into that field? Um, I've always been interested in it. I, I can remember as a young child when my family went for a holiday to Queensland, there was there's a lot more. There used to be a lot of laws in different states about where you could use hypnosis as an entertainment thing. Right, and okay. I had never, as I was probably about 11, I think, and I'd never seen it or heard it before. And there was this hypnotist, I think it was probably Martin St. James, who was quite a big name in in hypnosis entertainment hypnosis in Queensland and he was doing a hypnosis um demonstration but it was with people on the beach and I was fascinated there was a a young girl who probably reminded me of, of sort of my age group and I was just fascinated in what they were doing under hypnosis mm. and it the whole thing just completely fascinated me so um after I uh, was registered as a psychologist I thought all right this is the time for me now to look at what other aspects or disciplines I want to actually develop skills in mm. and and so hypnosis because I'd always had this interest was um, a bit of a a bit of a no-brainer and yeah so I, I started the course in that that's so and, interesting and I have, finished it too that's always nice when when we actually finish courses definitely (laughs) wonderful so we're going to get a bit more into that nitty-gritty stuff in a second so as I already mentioned today we're discussing how you can manage stress and how you can learn sort of coping strategies and techniques um, to kind of prevent 
that um, the negative effects that it has on your mental health and also how it affects our personal resilience. So for our listeners, Meryn, how would you define personal resilience? So I think of personal resilience as the ability or the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties that you might encounter, whether you Mm. experience them mentally or emotionally or behaviourally. And what this really requires is a level of flexibility because if you have the one way of responding to something, it's not going to work in all situations. So it's about being able to, first of all, recover quickly, but to be flexible and be able to adjust to changes in demands. Yeah. So that's a, um, that's a, a basic uh, introduction. I, I think people need to always understand their own response style to, to things because this links very much into stress and anxiety as well. Mm. And if people have got a rigid response and they only respond one way, that often relates back to what they learnt in terms of their beliefs and expectations, which we tend to learn as toddlers. Yeah. And that can sort of set them up to be a little bit um, unsuccessful if they're trying to keep their resilience at a reasonable level. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think resilience, like you said, it's about being able to um, have that flexibility and, yeah, in terms of bouncing back, that's why our podcast is called what it is, Um, just being able to, yeah, be um, a comeback as, yeah, your stronger self and just sort of um, go with the ebbs and flows. In saying that, I guess, the most common misconception that comes with talking about resilience is the fact that it means um, sort of being, uh, how, do, how do I phrase this, sort of being um, ignorant to the things around you and not being emotional and just sort of being tough and those kinds of things. What do you think of those misconceptions? Like why do you think that we believe Um, generally as a society, that resilience means not being affected by emotions? I I think it links in to behavioural outcomes as as well. So we we now talk a bit about emotional intelligence and this is sort of being able to gauge how emotions might be affecting people. But I think we also have to be careful that we don't make up excuses for inappropriate or poor behavior Mm. so I think it's about understanding ourselves and understanding what pushes our buttons which is really really important and knowing what what sets us off emotionally and also knowing what helps to calm us as well yeah okay fascinating can you sort of explain a little bit more about um sort of what we know um, that can calm us? Like, what do you mean by that? I I think that the whole thing about calming and soothing really relates to relaxing and the basis behind that and, and also the most effective way of managing that is to manage our breath, manage our breathing. Right. So okay. very often if somebody's getting wound up about something and they, they know that they're getting uptight, anxious, upset, or they feel as though, you know, the, the lid's about to come off the pressure cooker and they're likely to explode, if people can slow down their breathing, 
that has a really big calming impact. Mm. Uh, often the way I will describe that to people is when somebody's getting wound up with something um, and stressed about it, they often lift their shoulders and everything tenses. But when you breathe slowly, your shoulders drop yeah. and you become calmer within. Mm. So having that, that ability to, A, know your reactions, uh, know your, I call it your early warning system when you're looking at how you're feeling inside, if you can feel yourself getting wound up inside, that's your early warning system that you're actually upset about something and that your stress levels or your anxiety levels or possibly both are rising. And and you need to, if you've got more resilience, you'll, be, you'll know that you'll be able to kick in and you'll be able to calm yourself down. Yeah. Now, the other thing about resilience, I think, is that the more hits we take, the more difficult things and the more outbursts that we have, the more that sort of wears down our resilience as well. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think the reason that I asked that question is because we're going to talk now about how stress ties into resilience. So before we before I ask you that question, I think I want to know sort of from your perspective, what do you think stress means? Kind of how do we define it? Because I think it's a word that's thrown a lot, thrown around a lot these days. Um, but in your sort of professional opinion, how would you define stress? So as a term, stress first was used as an engineering term and it was look, talking about oh, the, okay. the stress or the load that a structure could take. So if you think about a bridge, for example, um, you know, what's the, the load that a, a, a bridge can take? And I think this is really interesting if we look back on that because in relation to humans, we're really talking about what load can a human take. Mm, yeah, okay. And and so stress is really a build-up of, uh, it, it's a build-up of what we ourselves interpret as we have to do, things that are on our plate, if you like. So if you imagine you've got your plate and it's building up with a whole lot of things that are expected of you. So this is where it links. It's very interesting in that it links into our personal beliefs and expectations, but it also links to the ups and downs of everyday life. Mm. And by that, I mean, um, if you're driving to work, for example, and you catch every red light, you might feel a bit stressed by the time you eventually get there. And so for that reason, I divide stress into two types, um, big S stresses and small S stresses. So mm-hmm. I, I like to take a fairly sort of simple approach mm-hmm. to things. Um, doesn't need to get too complicated. Big, big S stresses are major things in somebody's life. Often they'll be things like dealing with um, perhaps health issues, um, job changes, finance issues, family issues, sort of big things that you can't ignore mm-hmm. and that are there and that perhaps need time and other people to help deal with. Yeah, okay. So they're the biggest stresses. And the smallest stresses are the more incidental everyday ups and downs. So you've got the red traffic lights, but you, are, you might have um, the, the kids spilling the milk just as you're about to race out the door somewhere or it might be that, a smaller stress might be that you've just 
um, not had a good night's sleep and you're just not feeling on top of your game. Or it could be that you go to the photocopier and it's out of paper and you're the one that has, you feel like you're always the one that has to fill up the <laughs> yeah. so It can be sort of annoying little things like that um, or they can be significant things. And we all have our own blend or our own mix of these things and it's how we think about them and how we manage them that has a really big impact on how how our resilience can sort of help us mm. to work our way through that. Definitely. So how do you think stress ties into our resilience? So the way I explain this is I, I call this the stress hill. And I if, so okay. I'm going to sort of draw with my hands a little bit here. Uh, if you imagine that there's a level of calmness, and I like to think that that mostly we have a reasonable night's sleep and we wake up and we start our day at this base level of calmness. Mm. Now, during the day, we have from that level of calmness some biggest and smallest stresses that build up. And some yep. of the biggest okay. stresses might be there from yesterday um, and they might be working through, but the little stresses will come in. So this hill builds up and this is what I call the stress hill. Now it gets to a point where we can manage those stresses for a while but we get to this point and I call this the coping ceiling and at that point if we actually have a stress that pushes us through that that's when we flip out or we get upset we have an outburst right, we yeah. might be teary uh, we might feel the world's not fair. We can go through a whole range of things. Um, and that's when our coping resources have been maxed out. Mm. So we're, we've used every coping resource to get to that point and then we can't hold it in anymore and we have this what I call a volcanic eruption. That's at a personal level. So what happens after that? You normally feel better. So you've had this stress hill building, you get to the ceiling, you have your, you flip out your eruption and then you feel better so your stress levels drop. Yeah. But in most cases they don't come all the way back down to this level of calm that we started with. They only drop part of the way mm. until the stresses start to kick in again. Now what's also happened, when you hit that coping ceiling, your resilience levels tend to drop with that. So you've been pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. You get to your coping max. Then your resilience is a bit lowered because you've used so much of it to try and hold it together. Right, okay. And then it doesn't take as many stresses, big S and smaller stresses, before you hit your new lowered coping ceiling. Right, okay, yeah. And, and so you go through the same sort of um, emotional turmoil you feel a bit better because you've there's a chemical in tears that makes us feel better. So after we've had a good cry or a, a good um, rant or whatever it is that we do when we're upset, you tend to feel better. But each time this happens, it lowers your resilience a little bit. Right. And this is where people then might say, I seem to just go off the handle every second at every second thing. 
And that's because their resilience is gradually getting lower and lower and their coping capacity is is coming down at the Mm. same time. They're not going right back down to a level of calmness before their stresses keep kicking in. So that's why it doesn't take very many stresses to make them flip out and uh, and, and we can all feel that that upsetness that people might experience. We'll express mm-hmm. it in different ways, but we will be able to identify with what's going on for people. Yeah, that's so fascinating that you sort of describe it like that because it, it makes more sense, yeah, in my head when you kind of tie it back to resilience because I've never really sort of thought of stress and resilience being interconnected. But when you explain it like that and sort of that lowering of the ceiling, um, yes, it makes so much sense. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but I kind of just want to move into this next question. So based on Global Health Data Exchange, um, mental health issues such as depression and anxiety are increasingly common. Um, People have also started to be more aware of the gravity of this issue, sort of the people are taking notice of how um, drastic those things can be. So how does this influence um, sort of one's resilience, this um, kind of prevalence of um, sort of those those mental health issues? So if we um, look at, well, let's start with anxiety. Anxiety is, it's a normal reaction to some situations Um, whether it could be job concerns or relationship or health issues. Um, Sometimes I will use grief and loss as an example to let people see that anxiety is normal in those situations. It's just that we don't want it to hang around for a long time. But the other side of anxiety is that it's, it's like a misfiring of the fight, flight and freeze mechanism. So what it's really saying is, Oh, my, oh, no, I feel like there's danger around, even if there isn't danger around. So it's this misfiring. Mm. But what that does is it sets you on edge and it gets you um, very sort of jumpy and over aware of things. Now, the other part about anxiety, so I think it's, I think, sorry, on that, I think it's just important to understand that anxiety on its own as a misfiring of the fight, flight and freeze mechanism, so it's giving the wrong message, is not necessarily dangerous, but it can be uncomfortable. What it often leads to then is what we often refer to as what-if thinking. Mm, So very often an anxious thought will have what-if in front of it. So what-if this happens? What will I, so people are actually thinking ahead, planning ahead. What will I do if something that they're thinking about or something that's awful actually happens? Now, it's not necessarily likely to happen, but they've got this idea and this thought in their head. Um, And once they've got those anxious thoughts in their head, people become very good at adding a bit of creativity to that and building it up and making it bigger than Ben Hur. So I often think of it as we all have between seventy and 90,000 thoughts go through our head every day and this alarms me but a lot of those thoughts are junk thoughts and I, I sort of often think I'm, all this thought power I'm doing and a lot of it's junk. Mm. Most of it goes in one ear and out the other. Yeah. But sometimes when we're in a bit of a, an anxious space 
and we're into that sort of um, misfiring of the fight, flight and freeze mechanism, we we have one of these junk thoughts that goes into our head. It's like a hook comes down, picks it up and plonks it on what I call the mind's whiteboard. So there's nothing else on there but this junk thought. And then you look at it and you think, oh, my goodness, what if, and you add another part to it. Yeah. Okay. What if that actually happens tomorrow or what if that's me mm. or what if. So all of these what if thoughts are exacerbating this anxious thinking and making people become preoccupied with anxiety and the what ifs and all the awful things that might happen. Now, this, as you can understand, increases people's stress. It's not stress with a, a necessarily a foundation, but they feel stressed and overwhelmed. And this really is their anxiety. So this is a massive trigger for people to get anxious about things. And so they become preoccupied and they can't focus on the things that they would normally focus on. Mm. All they can focus on is all these dreadful things that may happen but probably won't, and how am I going to move forward? Now, in saying that, there are other aspects of anxiety. So there's, um, there's generalised anxiety disorder, but there are other types of anxiety like social anxiety and um, obsessive-compulsive disorder. And, and then we have the, the things like panic and fear and phobia. So they're all other aspects of anxiety. But I used to work with the Melbourne Zoo in an arachnophobia program for a while using hypnosis. Oh, wow. And, and so people who were frightened of spiders. And very often they knew the difference between the facts about, most of the facts about spiders, um, but they couldn't separate out their emotional part of it mm. so and and in their mind it was more about their fear and phobia was really more of a disgust response so if we look into the depth of it people can also affect their life uh, and their personal resilience by avoiding things because they've got this uh, anxiety related disorder connected to it yeah okay Interesting. So I kind of want to lean a little bit more into how stress connects to those things because we face a lot of sort of, I guess what you would call small S stress events sort of on a daily basis, you know, work meetings or people have assignment deadlines, those sorts of things. How do you know when stress is being prolonged? Because like you mentioned before with resilience, when we're kind of like constantly at that stress level and you're sort of going through sort of like the glass ceiling, uh, how do we know when we've kind of reached our limit in terms of our resilience level is sort of dying down? So I, I think the thing that we really need to be aware of within ourselves is change and change in a number of different things. So uh, if, if we notice that uh, we're we're actually hitting our coping ceiling, you know, with every every little minor thing. That's a big change in terms of what we used to be able to cope with. But I also think that change, just change in our daily functioning, change in our, our energy, change in um, our enjoyment of things, 
any sort of change in the way we're living our life is your number one clue. Right, okay. So if I look at, if I talk about changes in general functioning, I'm really looking at things like sleep, lack of energy, lack of enjoyment in things that we used to enjoy. Now that, the lack of enjoyment is a common element in depressive symptoms as well. Uh, And sleep issues can also relate to both anxiety and depression. So these sorts of things, uh, getting back to the enjoyment, whether you uh, start to avoid going out with friends is another thing or whether you won't pick up the phone is, is another thing. Any of these sorts of changes in how we lead our life and what we would normally do are your what are one of your early warning systems. The other early warning system is what you're feeling within you physiologically. So sometimes people might find that they're getting more heart palpitations than they are used to having, or they might get more butterflies in the stomach or a constricted throat. So they can also be an early warning system and a very important early warning sign because they usually link with negative thoughts as well. Hmm. So any sort of change in what how you're living your life is really important for you to take notice of. Interesting. So in saying that sort of when we take notice of these things for example sort of when our sleep patterns are changing or you're noticing that you have sort of an increased heart rate you're in meetings what are some ways that what are some practices that people can employ to sort of help manage stress so that it doesn't result in bad mental health because like you sort of mentioned a lot of these things start to sort of come with you know the lack of enjoyment of things which is sort of tied to depression or um what was the other one in terms of um just sort of yeah that inability to get rid of negative thoughts how can we manage stress sort of on a day-to-day basis so that we can maintain a good mental health so one of the things that i use with um the people that i work with is i developed um an acronym and i call it the acronym is meds but i decided i'd better call it natural meds because i didn't want people going on or off their medication at will Um, (laughs) right so what i what i do is i meds stands for mood exercise diet and sleep so and i think these are key indicators or changes in any of these are key indicators of stress right so if people start to feel a bit by the time they come to see me they're normally quite um you know they're quite concerned about something but if they can actually notice changes now mood is a really important one because this one will reflect the lack of enjoyment the lack of energy Mm. um, and it can also come as a result of lack of sleep Um, it can come you know for for women through their menstrual cycle as well so we need to sort of keep a, a bit of a check on when it's happening but I think mood is a really, really key indicator. I get people to score their meds every day, give themselves a score out of five or out of 10 for mood. How has your mood been? Has it been up? Has it been down? Uh, has it? And you then we'll see if it's improved. 
over time. So noticing your mood, noticing if you're always wanting to yell at people or you always, you know, feel like it's the cat's fault, not yours, that type of thing. Um, And and, and I must say here, though, if you're dealing with a traumatic situation, uh, mood would come into that just as part of the trauma. So I'm Mm. I'm not talking about trauma situations. I'm talking about general daily functioning here. Yeah. So changes in mood is a very, very uh, big indicator. Now, the other, the exercise one, look at what your normal exercise routine is and have there been changes in that? Were you someone who would go to the gym every day and all of a sudden you've just been a bit too tired over the last couple of weeks or you used to go for a walk every day and uh, I'll have, I'm very good at having be kind to Merrin days. Um, I can convince myself that I really should be resting rather than walking. So look at, just look at your behaviour around your exercise. Where is that at? What have you been doing? Same thing with diet. Were you someone who always ate healthily and cooked, you know, fresh foods, things like that, and have you decided that you need a few more takeaways um, quite frequently? So look at where your eating pattern has changed. Or have you gone from healthy salads to sweet sugary donuts all the time? Those types of things are an indication that you're doing something different in your diet that is a reaction to stress. And then sleep. Sleep is such a huge one. Now, there are many reasons why people may not sleep soundly. Um, So we need to be aware of that. And we're not saying that that this is going to cater for all people who don't sleep well. But focus on change in your sleep pattern. If your sleep pattern has changed for the worse uh, over recent times, ask yourself, what's going on here? So changes in any of these things, any of these natural meds can be an indicator that stress is building. What is it that's causing the stress? And try to deal with that so that your resilience doesn't take a regular hit because every time we have a hit on our resilience through anxiety, stress or depression, our resilience is tested and it sort of gets weaker each time and we've got to really work at building it back up again. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I want to ask your opinion in terms of building routines. This is kind of of going off on a bit of a sidetrack here, but from what I've read and from what I've heard, sort of having routines and having structure can help people sort of manage stress because you're you're not having to sort of think on your feet as often. Do you sort of do you agree with that? Do you sort of agree that routines can kind of help people manage stress better? Or is this sort of just a misconception that's tried to make us more productive? <laughs> I agree. I do agree with that. And and I often will say to people that from the time we're children, we learn routines. And when I think of children starting school, it's very important for them to know what day is library, what day is art, what day is sport. They need to know what to expect and it helps them to settle. Uh, There's that sense of security around Mm. routine and structure. And, and I find working with adults, it's not too different. Um, another routine that I think is an interesting thing to look at is the fact that we have a routine about cleaning our teeth. And we usually just, 
establish that routine as children and, and it stays with us for the rest of our life and we don't have to think about it. We just do it. So routine has that potential that where we can do things without having to put too much effort into thinking about them. But the other thing that it does is that if you've got a routine set out, and sometimes I'll give people a timetable to fill in to help them establish a routine that will work for them. If we know when we're going to do things, we just do it. We don't have to argue with ourselves whether we're going to do it now or later or tomorrow or not at all. So um, one of the things that I just said, I'm very good at having excuses for not going for a walk. And at the moment, I'm, I'm needing to do back exercises. And so I have a time of day where I know that I can fit in doing my back exercises. I just have to be disciplined enough to do it. So how I get that discipline is I actually pair it with a reward. And a reward for me is my first cup of tea for the day. So I do my back exercises while my first cup of tea is brewing and then I go and have my cup of tea and I congratulate myself on actually getting that bit done. And I really don't have to think about it. It just Mm. gets done. Yeah. That's so interesting, yeah, because I've been – trying to sort of sort of try out new routines and those sort of things and just trying to make the most of sort of creating a bit of a structure um and I think anybody who sort of you know works remotely or has more of a sporadic timetable um can definitely sort of relate to the the struggle in sort of creating a routine um but hey look if it's going to decrease my stress then I will do anything at this point It might be that building into your routine, uh, though, that you build in regular relaxation. Mm, That sounds nice. So by having a routine doesn't mean that you have no time for yourself, but you build that into the routine. Mm, Yes, definitely. Those sort of those, what do I call them, like the self-care moments and self-care days. That sounds nice. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I mean, I I build in um, the gift of time every time I take a tea break. Mm, Yes. And the gift of time is probably the best gift that you can give yourself in that sense. It's part of self-care. Definitely. So going back to what we talked about before in terms of um, those practices, I want to ask sort of when we face stress, there's sort of those two different types, like you mentioned before, we face that kind of um, general sort um, sort of small S stress, I guess, you know, um, general work stress, there's meetings, there's deadlines, and then we face more of those threatening sort of big life event stresses. Do we, as like, as humans, do we need to employ different practices sort of depending on those events? Like do you think that the same sort of um, coping mechanisms can be used like in all of those different events or do we have to kind of have sort of a toolkit for ourselves to be prepared for those different stressful events? I I think a a bit of both in a way. I think that the the specific threats or the bigger things um, that have a a bigger impact, and I'm thinking of um, critical incidents here, but it could also relate to bigger personal issues um, that, that are going to take longer for us to deal with. I think it's easier for us to recognise that we're dealing with something really difficult here and so we actually need to be kind to ourselves 
in saying that, not everybody is kind to themselves and sometimes people expect way too much of themselves. I think with the bigger things that take longer to work themselves out, it's largely about acknowledging that you need the patience and you need to give yourself time and potentially time to have other people who might be able to support you in that. Hmm. But when it comes to the smaller or the ups and downs of everyday life, I I think that we all need to be building in uh, general relaxation things into our world yeah. so that we actually manage those ups and downs without it becoming a big stress. So I think if we learn how to build in the self-care type things, if we learn to build in a little bit of, of me time into every day now everyone's going to have different circumstances and that can be easier said than done I realize that but I think even if you give yourself a 15 minute tea break at some point and you do something that you want to do whether it's sitting outside in the sun whether it's reading a book or a magazine for 15 minutes something that you enjoy it's part of your relaxation and that actually helps you to get if you think of the stress hill when I talked about coming back down to that level of calmness that's what helps you to come down to that level of calmness Hmm. there are other things that you can do like meditation and yoga and things that take more time to help bring you back down and they too are important but let's not discard the smaller things that you can do during your day to help you Relax a little bit. Let go of some of the stress. Even yeah. five minutes where you sit and just focus on your breathing can help to bring your stress levels down. And that's a useful thing and you don't even need five minutes um, of breathing. You can breathe for 30 seconds or a minute and you will notice a difference. Mm. And, and I think if we can get into the habit of establishing breathing and using our breath as a way of helping us to manage our stress then that's helping our resilience to stay stronger but the other thing that it's doing is that it's setting us up to be able to think more clearly because we're not spending all of this time and energy with our head getting into a jumble on a scramble thinking oh my goodness how am I going to do this and this is terrible and that's terrible it actually lets us conserve that energy and we're more likely to do better at finding solutions when problems do arise. Mm. No, yes, (laughs) that's nice to know, yeah, because when, yeah, when we do get stressed, we have those moments and I feel like I have these moments a lot lately in terms of we are suddenly sort of thinking of everything that needs to be done all at once but just sort of to, yeah, maybe just break it down and just sort of, yeah, breathe and think about those things. So in saying that, a lot of the time, you know, we we hear these um, recommendations and these suggestions in terms of practices that we can implement to manage stress. And I think as a society, um, we're quite sort of educated now in terms of we have the resources and the tools to figure out sort of what works for us in terms of managing stress. But in saying that, you know, like I can talk all day about how breathing is great and meditating is great, and I know this, but do I implement it? Not all the time, not always. So it can be difficult to change our unhealthy habits and our unhealthy responses to stress. So do you have any tips on how to 
get started and to sort of adopt these new strategies as habits kind of in replacing our, our old ones? Well, I think the first thing that we need to do is to identify what we consider are our unhealthy habits. Right, okay. So, uh, And I think with any sort of change that we're wanting to implement, we first of all, we need to uh, have awareness and understanding, first of all. So once we've identified what our unhealthy habits are, then I would suggest choosing one habit to work on initially. Don't try and knock the whole lot over all at once because you'll wear yourself out doing (laughs) that. Um, And Rome wasn't built in a day as we we keep hearing. Mm. Now, the other thing that I think is really important in any of these types of things, um, exercise is a classic. How many people buy a gym membership on New Year's Day and use it for three (laughs) weeks while they're still on annual leave and then don't go back again? So... When we're looking at changing habits, we have to be very, very careful that we make sure whatever we come up with, whatever we decide to replace our old habit with, is doable. Right. And by doable, I mean it needs to fit in with our busy life, whatever that might look like. Okay. So... We're needing to find a habit or a routine to improve our or or to change. We're we're swapping an unhealthy habit for a healthy habit. But we've got to make sure that we can fit that into our routine without too much rearrangement. We might need to put ourselves out a little bit, but we need to think about what does our day look like? What do we do before work? What do we do after work? What do we do at lunchtime? And if we're talking exercise, I often find that getting people to go for a walk during half of their lunch break is a good way of getting started with that type of routine. Mm, Yeah. Um, It's about if you're wanting to actually make sure that you do it, you've got to have your walking shoes there beside you. If you decide you're going to walk or run as soon as you get home from work, you have your shoes at the door. Yeah. So that you, you see it. But, and, and I mean, another thing I've got people to do too is to put a, a reminder in their phone. Yes, I do this. <laughs> I think, you know, it's, it's a really good use of phones. So I think, you know, first of all, identify the unhealthy habits, then decide, and I think one at a time, at least to get started, decide what habit you want to work with, mm. then make sure that whatever it is that you decide to do is doable within your routine. And The other thing that often helps here, and I mentioned this before, is about pairing that new habit with Mm. a simple reward. Yeah. So it might be you go for a walk and then you sit down and enjoy a nice cup of tea, Mm. which is what I do with my back exercises. Um, So, or it might be, yeah, it might be that you just sit down and read a book for 10 minutes. It doesn't always have to be around food and drink, but and, and make that fit in with the diet part of, of the meat. The <laughs> yeah. But I, I think it's about making sure that whatever you put in place is simple and doable mm. because it doesn't have to get all complicated and complex. The more yeah. complex, complex it is, the harder it will, it will be to stick with it. Mm, definitely. Interesting. So 
on that note, talking about sort of implementing habits and all those things, we're going to move into the practice and habit sort of experiment debrief. So this is the part of the podcast where we ask the professionals um, what they do to improve or cultivate or deal with the topic of the day. So I'm going to ask Marin sort of how she um, sort of deals with and improves uh, her ability to cope with stress. So, Marin, what is your number one practice that you do to manage your stress? My number one and my favourite is my focus on simple pleasures. Right. Okay. Now, a lot of people will know this as the old three good things. And I do this a little bit differently to some people. Some people will say, all right, do three good things every day and make them different every day. Well, I'm almost the opposite to that. I My first good thing every day is hot water in the shower. Nice. <laughs> and I have that every day because I like a hot shower every day. I don't mm. just want it once in my life. <laughs> so yeah. I have no issue with people repeating their good things from one day to the next. Okay. What that does is it frees you up to think of more and more and more and more. So I might start people off with three good things because I want them to get into the habit of it, but there's there's actually no cap on that. So the thing about simple pleasures is that the more you get used to find, looking for them and finding them, the more you find without even trying. Yeah, yeah. So this is really, really important because it really feeds into our thought processing and our thinking. But I'll, I'll, I won't get sidetracked on that. I'll talk about my routine. <laughs> yeah. so, so my routine is, is first of all, the simple pleasures, the three good things. So I've got the hot water in the shower. I've got the kettle on um, to have my first cup of tea. And in that space and while the tea is being made and all of that, I've done my, my back exercises So I've actually ticked a few boxes at the same time as having things to look forward to and enjoy. And the focus here is on simplicity because there are so many simple things out there that we can get pleasure from. But sometimes I think we get too caught up with things having to be complex or fancy or highfalutin or whatever. Mm, And I would encourage people, if we're wanting to minimise stress, to try and let go of some of the need for the the really complex stuff and really focus back on the simple pleasures. Mm. So following on from that, the other thing that I have religiously in my day is regular breaks. And I know this can be difficult depending on where people work and what they do and it doesn't always, I'm lucky I can control my diary. But I think everybody knows, every employer knows that the research shows that people are more productive, more efficient, more effective when they have regular breaks and it should be every hour and a half at least. Okay, interesting. So so absolutely. So we're much more productive if we actually do have regular breaks. And... And, and I think that, you know, sometimes we, we have to push the gauntlet because we, we want to get something to a particular part or finished or whatever. Mm. But don't let that be the norm. Make sure that you have regular breaks in your day. Now, working from home um, has perhaps opened it up for a lot of people. I like to, in my regular breaks, I usually pair that with 
especially in the morning. Oh, I have one coffee a day, so that's a really special break. <laughs> um, yeah. But I always take my my cappuccino outside. And I have lots of um, feathered friends that love to see me because they know they're going to get a bit of seed thrown for them as well. <laughs> um, I have a family of magpies that well, they usually come in the morning with the, the cup of tea at the cup of tea time. Oh, nice. <laughs> but I'm grounded in nature. So mm. even if the birds aren't there and the, the ducks aren't there or whatever, I'm looking at the trees and the plants and the flowers. I'm noticing the changes with the seasons and if there's not much happening in the garden, I'll look at the sky and the clouds and the simple things around us. Yeah, yeah. And that simplicity is really, really good for my headspace. Mm, definitely. Because when I'm working, I'm focused, I'm full on, and um, I need to actually balance that out. So really I think life needs to be about balance. We, we know about mind-body balance, work-life balance, I, I like the indoor-outdoor balance as well, uh, but I think that we need to have these sorts of gifts to ourselves. And these breaks, I also look at that as the gift of time because time is the one resource that yeah. once you've spent it, you can't get it back again. Mm, definitely. So I value those breaks and I, I really enjoy them and get the most that I can out of them. So that's how I manage um, my my stress. Hmm, that's nice. No, very very simple and very sort of very doable because I think I can definitely relate um, in terms of just taking the time to just enjoy the simple pleasures because they do sort of calm you down and make you more grounded and more grateful um, for things around you. So my question after that would be, do you face any challenges with this practice? I have got a, a pretty good routine around this practice. I don't face any challenges with it because a lot of the gratitude type things fits in, It's it relates to your thinking. So mm. it's not like I've got to set aside a whole lot of time. Um, and I think because what I do is simple and enjoyable, um, I actually don't really find that I get too challenged by it. And, yeah. and even the whole th bit about exercise, mm. uh, and part of this is how you think about things, and so there's, there's, there's a bit of work around that as yeah, well. Mindset, but yeah. if you learn how to reframe thinking and, and reframe it onto the positive, it's much easier to do things. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think it's... Yeah, a lot of the time, like you said, it is a mindset thing coming into it and just sort of being able to reframe things um, and sort of understand that the things that we're trying to do are to our benefit, <laughs> which I think we fail to understand a lot of the time. <laughs> yes, look, and I think the other interesting thing here, um, and, and stop me if this goes too off topic, but it's, it's really relating to uh, whether our thinking is positive or negative. Mm. And as far as um, evolution is concerned, man is hardwired to have a default thought processing setting uh, to the negative. Yeah. Because caveman had to always be on the lookout for threats, mm. poke his head outside the cave, and he had to make sure when he was going to look for, for his dinner that he didn't become something else's dinner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So 
Uh, we still have that hard wiring, but our threats are different. They're not the life and death threats that caveman had. They might be things about um, the, the big S stresses or even the small S stresses, you know, damn those red lights, why did they hold me up today? All that sort mm. of thing. But basically the way I explain this is that the more time we spend thinking, if you think of a timeline, you've got negative thinking here, positive thinking here. The more time we spend thinking negatively, the less time we've got to think positively and vice versa. Mm. So what we need to do is work out how we can extend our positivity or our positive thinking, which gives us less time to think negatively. And gratitude is the easiest way I know to do that, which is your three good things or your five or your ten or your hundred good things every day Mm. because you're looking for what's good unlike caveman who was looking for what was bad. <laughs> yeah. And now this is uh, this is not that difficult to do. The, the, the gratitude is a really great exercise to build up that whole ability to think positively. In saying that, I need to just put a, a note in here. Sometimes I hear people get really cross with um, positivity because they say bad stuff still happens, and it does. Positivity does not prevent bad stuff from happening. Mm. But what it does is it gives you a different way of thinking about things and yeah. you're much more likely to come up with a solution. Mm. So it not only makes you happier, but it actually helps you to come up or to deal with the difficult stuff more easily. And and, and that is certainly something that I have found in my own life has has really been a huge help. Instead of spiralling into the, oh, 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 I'm like, okay, let me look at this. What can I do and how do I need to go about it? Mm. So it, it actually does help you to manage the difficult stuff that comes in. Mm. Definitely. So going back to those practices um, that you mentioned sort of at the start, um, you've sort of spoken about you have certain things that you do throughout the day. Um, but I guess my question is, do you set up certain time to do these things or do they sort of come more naturally to you now? You can just sort of, your body knows when those things need to happen or do you sort of have a, a set schedule and routine for those things? A bit of both um, because my my first part of the day is pretty much a schedule, you know, like I I have a, a, that morning schedule of getting up, having a shower, you, some, the kettle gets put on in the middle, the exercises get done, first cup of tea, all of that mm. um, before I, I get to my desk. Right. So that is, that's the first part of my schedule. During the day, the schedule is a little looser and that depends on what I'm doing, where, you know, when I've got people booked in and what else I've got on. So, you know, sometimes lunch might be two o'clock and, you know, I might not have a break until then, but I will always have a break um, every, I, I rarely see people back to back because I think it's better for them and for me if I actually have a bit of a break in between. I might be doing work, but I'll be getting up and moving around. So I sort of structure my day so that I've got movement in it. If it's not a break, that I'll be moving around doing things. Um, and then it's, sorry, just, no you're right um so with the other things um now exercise is something that 
I'm about to reintegrate into my life. I'm having had just had a hip operation. I haven't been able to do a lot of getting out to exercise, but I do exercise um, using my exercise bike while I'm watching television, and that's sort of like a good way of of utilizing that. Uh, watching television is just wind down time for me. Unless I'm watching the football. And then when I'm watching the football, I use the exercise <laughs> bike to keep me calm. So, <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I use exercise in two ways. Um, so when I'm not watching the football, I'm just watching a bit of TV in the evening. I will do some exercise on that. Um, but then I will need to be scheduling in Pilates classes and things mm. like that in, in the future. And I will have to mark those out in my diary. Right. Okay. So, so for people who are working in a um, sort of a, a regular uh, office role or when they, they don't have the, they can't have the breaks in the day like I can have, those types of things would need to be scheduled in after work or before work or mm. at lunchtime. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, yeah, for people sort of starting off trying to sort of take notes in terms of things that you can do to yeah implement these practices I think for yeah for your beginners I think it's much um, more beneficial to start with more of a set kind of schedule and routine to kind of create those habits so that um, they do end up coming a bit more naturally. I think this is where um, not trying to put too much in too soon is important so if I was getting people to start off with the three good things I like them to write them every day I don't want them to just think of them. They've got to actually write mm. them in a notebook okay? Um, because that's helping to cement the, the habit. And I'll talk to them about whether it's better for them to do it first thing in the morning when they get up, so have the notebook on the side table, or whether it's better to do it just before they go to bed at night. So it's about, in, in that situation, it's about working out, knowing your own routine, mm. what's going to be the best time to do it, but actually having... Um, I, I, I get them to get a notebook, uh, I think having a, an aid and a prop there, but I also know writing it's going to cement it more quickly for them. So mm. I think when you're starting, you've got to have a structure of when you're going to do it. Um, and like I, I have that morning structure, so I know when I'm going to start start my gratitude, but it runs all through the day. And that happens to other people as well once they get used to it. And once you've got one of those unhealthy habits that you've decided to change integrated into your routine then you can bring in another one mm. yeah so just avoid doing too much too soon <laughs> yes I think that is definitely a good piece of advice just all around in general um, so finally I just want to ask with these practices um, how do you think they impact your personal resilience or your perception of it hugely because I think what they do is make, they make me calmer. I, I don't, I rarely get wound up, even although things will go wrong. Mm. Um, I've, I think that these practices help me to think things through to come up with a solution. Yeah. So what that does in the back of my mind is I don't have the solution when a problem hits. But I have the confidence in my ability to come up with a solution. And I think that that comes from the, A, the gratitude and the positive thinking, 
um, and that that ability to reframe or to to look at okay, what's good in this? This this might be really difficult. So a, a common example, if if we look at the impacts of lockdowns during COVID, and that, that how difficult that was. Mm. Um, the, the thing that I used to help men, a lot of people did this, was to say, I don't, I don't like not being able to see my family and my friends. Uh, you know, it, it's not nice at all, but I'm really grateful that I've got a phone and I've got the computer and Zoom. Yeah. And if I think about my parents who grew up when um, the depression was on, for example, they didn't have those things. So they, they they weren't isolated in the same way, but they yeah you know, a lot of families were in a really bad way, and they they didn't have the things that we had to help make it a bit better. So I can get gratitude from that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So it, what it does is it takes you outside of only uh, it takes you outside of yourself instead of just constantly thinking poor me, poor me, this is terrible, and I can't do this and this and da 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 da. It actually expands your horizons and you actually can think beyond yourself mm. and that makes it, uh, I think, easier to manage. Yes, definitely, yeah. And I think being just having those sort of like daily um, yeah, check-ins with sort of where you're at and being able to be grateful for those things um, when things like lockdown do occur, I think they definitely help change your perspective and sort of, um, yeah, increase that positivity. So we're going to go into some audience questions now. So I've got two questions here. Um, our first question is, how can I improve on separating work stress from my personal life without feeling like I'm running away from the problem? So this is really um, uh, this is really about boundaries and that whole work-life balance. And, and I think if there's work stress, it's it's really about looking. Okay, this is work, and work begins and ends here. So if you actually can put a beginning and an end around the workday, and almost step out of that now. Um, there's a notion called the third space and the name of the person that invented it um, escapes me. I want to think it's Adam somebody or other, but basically <laughs> the, concept, yeah. um, the concept is when work finishes, before you get home to your personal life, you've got this gap. So that might be the commute. And, and if you work from home, it might be about going for a walk after you finish work, go for a walk. So you create a space between work and home life and you do something in that space. Now, it might be that you're on the train coming home from work and that might be when you listen to podcasts or it might be when you listen to music. Um, I think some people even catch up with TV on their phones, things like that, <laughs> yeah. where you're actually focusing on something other than work. So you might be driving, you might be listening to class classical music. Or if you're working from home, I think a good way really is to probably go out for a walk because you're leaving the workspace and then you're coming back home into the home space. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think, yep, creating those boundaries is something that, yeah, we've learned a lot about during COVID and just being able to, yeah, work from home and be able to separate those spaces so that you're able to, 
yeah, sort of com- compartmentalize a little bit more. And it's something that we're still sort of learning how to do. Um, but there, there might be a little bit of need for people to reframe in this situation as well. And that will be saying to themselves, I don't need to take my work issues home with me. And I actually will be much, much more refreshed if I don't take my work issues home with me. I'll be able mm. to come back and look at them tomorrow. So you might sort of be able to do some self-talk or some reframing around, I'm leaving work now, I'm leaving all the issues here and I will be fresher in the morning and I will revisit it then. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think that, and I think that's better for your work and for your home life and all those things. So, it's, it's better for everything. <laughs> exactly. It's better, it's better for everything. everyone. <laughs> yeah. So the second question, which is our last audience question, is how does a person know if they're stressed or depressed? They look at their general functioning and whether that has changed. Okay. So do you mean whether they're stressed as opposed to depressed or whether they're either stressed or depressed? Well, yeah, how does like a, how does a person know sort of the difference? Oh, between being stressed and being depressed? Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, so um, if you're stressed, you will have a sense of overwhelm. Um, if you're depressed, you're going to have a very flattened affect. Mm. So one of the questions that um, that that they at a, a workshop I was at years ago now, but they said that yeah, the big question that the WHO was sort of using to define depression was, have you been feeling blue lately? Which is mm. that's a bit American for us, but basically, <laughs> have you been feeling down? Yeah, yeah. So that flattened affect, if you feel down and um, everything everything is just too hard and you, you can't be bothered doing anything. Now, there can be a little bit of overlap with stress because people can have too much on their plate and they can feel physically exhausted. But I often think of stress as being like overwhelm. Mm. I've got so much on, I don't know where to start. Yeah. So that's different from that flattened affect of somebody who's spiralled down with depression, who can't get out of bed, can't be bothered answering the phone, doesn't want to see anybody, doesn't want to go anywhere, particularly if there's someone that that used to love getting out and about and having fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's a, a learning curve in terms of, like you said, being able to identify those things in yourself um, and sort of where your practices have changed. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think the, the big key for us in any mental health area is to be on the lookout for changes in how we function. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think if I've learned yeah, anything today, it's just being able to identify those those changes in yourself and being able to understand sort of what they mean and kind of yeah, track them and, and understand how to react to them, which is the most important. Absolutely. And I mean, I think the thing is that we need to bring mental health into this space where we can look at it simply and and then start dealing with it simply. Because mm. if we go too complex, we will never get to the bottom of it. Yeah. So we've really got to get down to that basic level of how do we normally function and what's different about mm. how we're functioning now um, to what how we were functioning a month ago or yeah. whatever it might, whatever the time frame might be. Yeah, definitely. I think when you yeah, term it like that, it kind of 
sort of eases that burden in terms of having to be your own sort of Sherlock Holmes and trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, so yeah, just sort of understanding who you are and what you do. So we're going to go into the open mic section now. So this is the part of the podcast where the guest, so Merrin, has free reign to talk about anything that they're passionate about. It doesn't have to be related to resilience or stress. Um, so I'll hand it over to Merrin. What am I passionate about? Well, I'm I'm pretty passionate about um, about simple pleasures and simple things, and so mm. I do like to spend a lot of time outside. But I'm also passionate. I guess I really want everybody to get this balance between mind, body, and lifestyle. Yeah. And the reason that I I use lifestyle as the third thing is because if our mind is right. We're going to be in a better spot to get our body right if we need to exercise or do stuff. And so I think mind and body, we know about the links between them. But if we've got those things right, well, then we're going to be in a much better space to get our lifestyle right. Mm. And so this is the thing that I guess I I focus on in in my sort of other avenue of things. Um, And that's really the concept behind the uh, Lafix brand that that I also have but in getting the lifestyle bit right I think we need to bring in the breaks and make sure we have time out to sit and enjoy the simple things and this is on Mm. on the weekends as well it's not just taking a tea break during the day make make time to sit outside in your garden if you have a garden or on the veranda or the balcony or wherever it might be and and really um, enjoy that Mm. Um, I think in terms of uh, managing our well-being and mental health, I, I think it's important that we just keep an eye on where we're at. If we have any concerns in terms of not feeling right, this is when we need to start recording things. And that's really why I developed the Daily Dose that you mentioned earlier, which is really like a diary journal and that's really all about recording number one your three good things every day but scoring your natural meds and writing about things that need to change so sort of I guess I just want people to understand that the way forward is really quite simple Mm. it's about developing these routines recording these things noticing changes noticing things that are not feeling quite right and then taking the simple steps to move forward with them. Mm. So I guess, yeah, where I'm passionate is, yes, get outside, enjoy nature, get the lifestyle bit happening. Look at um, what you can, what you really want to do in your lifestyle. So it might be something as simple as walking along the beach, which is one of the things <laughs> I want for my lifestyle. Yes, <laughs> um, me too. And, yeah, you know, just just to enjoy um that sort of thing and that's getting back out to nature and enjoying the things mm. that we have here um and some people love to go snow skiing and they they, they love the winter I don't, I don't like the cold that much but yeah you know, it's, <laughs> it's about enjoyment because if you enjoy things that's going to actually lift your vibration and it's going to make it much easier to find more good things out there and more mm. positive things and that is all feeding into sound mental health yeah definitely yeah being able to just appreciate um those small things and know what yeah what are the things that you enjoy what are the things that you like doing and I think I've 
definitely been trying to implement that a lot more lately in terms of when I have breakfast now, I try to make sure that I'm not doing anything while I eat breakfast um, or even if I'm eating lunch or dinner. Um, it's usually breakfast because I feel like that kind of calms me out and sort of levels my day. Um, but because usually, you know, I'd have breakfast and I'd be on my phone or on my computer, checking emails, watching YouTube, those sort of things. But recently been trying to sort of have breakfast and just sit and just eat my breakfast and just look outside and, you know, watch the birds and all those kind of things. And it definitely has improved kind of my ability to go into the day as like a calmer person and just appreciate, you know, the little little fluffy birds outside and what the weather's like and sort of evaluate um, sort of where my day is going to go. And I think that definitely um, has helped sort of my headspace as I go into the day. And I, it's things that are just as simple as that, like as small as just eating my breakfast at my dining room table without my phone. It's tiny things like that. It's a that. great example. It, it's a great example. And, and I think that um, I do a similar thing with breakfast. Sometimes I take it outside too and watch the birds at closer range. <laughs> but if it's too cold, I'm inside yeah. looking out the window. But I think that there's a discipline in that too, and that is to not look at your phone. Mm, it was hard at and the start. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because, um, you know, looking at our phone, it's something we can multitask and we get so used to multitasking and, mm. you know, we might think that's a good thing. But if we're wanting to calm ourselves, it's about actually just giving, giving to ourselves. And that's um, the other thing about eating eating your breakfast and not doing any of that that sort of thing, and it might be having your lunch and it might be or it might be having a cup of tea, is that this can actually be like a mindfulness type of activity where you're just in the space of either enjoying what you're eating um, or looking at the looking at the birds or, or whatever it is. So I'm a failure personally at meditation, but I find that my version of meditation will be sitting outside looking at the trees or the birds or something. Mm. Um, It can also be a mindfulness experience as well. Definitely. And so we know that both mindfulness and meditation are very valuable things in terms of managing stress. Mm. And I think what you've noticed for yourself there, Tia, really highlights how important it is but also how simple it can be. Yes, definitely, yeah. I think it's been something that just sort of occurred naturally because I was just like oh my gosh I spend so much time on technology all day and I've sort of made a more conscious effort mainly because my optometrist was like otherwise I'm gonna have to increase your glasses strength (laughs) I was like okay I was like fine I'll try and try and curb this um happening so I've been trying to it's kind of just sort of come as Um, sort of incidentally I have ended up trying to do more things that have resulted in more mindfulness activities because I find when I'm not on technology I'm definitely more present I'm more mindful you know instead of watching my phone on the way home from work I read a book or instead of watching YouTube or Netflix when I have breakfast I just sort of sit there in silence or talk to whoever's in the house Um, and I think just those little things um, have definitely sort of improved my mindfulness, but it took my optometrist to kind of push me over the edge. <laughs> but and it's something that it I recommend. Takes, exactly. Sometimes it takes that too. The other thing too that I'd mentioned is that I developed um, a 
uh, an audio program called The Pearls of Resilience. And um, so it's based around the meds, um, but it, it goes into a little bit more than, than just the meds, but it's a, a hypnosis-based thing. Mm. And my reasoning behind that, apart from the fact that hypnosis is a really powerful tool to use, it's also very relaxing. And I always use a relaxation induction because I think the world needs to learn to relax more. And that's a Definitely. bit like giving yourself the gift of time but also getting some messages to sort of cement in your head. Mm. So any of those types of things that uh, are also a gift of time to yourself, just taking, um, you know, half an hour or an hour or whatever it is to listen to something like that and to just give it to yourself to, some people use them to fall asleep by um, and, and sort of get that sort of message just sort of cementing itself. So there are other things that you can use to help manage stress and also to get you or to help get you on track with getting your, your programs right or getting the things that you need to be working on right, whether it's one of your meds or one of the, the pearls, the P-E-A-R-L-S all stand for different things in terms of resilience. Mm. So I, I think I guess... I'm passionate about making it simple for people and I'm passionate about us having a a simple sort of life Mm. that is really fulfilling and and really wonderful and I think that's that's how we can do it. Yes, and I think that beautifully sums up everything that we've learned here today and brings us nicely to the end of our podcast. I'm going to go make myself a cup of tea now. Um, So thank you so much, Marin, for being here. For those who want to find out more about you and what you do, uh, where can they go? Um, they can. I've got a couple of websites, uh, merinsnare.com, so M-E-R-R-Y-N-S-N-A-R-E.com or lefix.com, L-E-F-I-X-E.com. Um, they, they both have, they link to each other, but they cool. talk about the various things that, that I do. Nice. Wonderful. Well, thank yeah, you so, feel so much. Feel free to visit and have a look around. Definitely. Yes. You can see Merrin with Oprah. That's a very nice picture of her up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. And yeah, we've really appreciated it. I have learned much and now I'm going to go make myself a cup of tea. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Tia. Thanks so much. You have been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pr.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.